This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity, for those like you and me who make the conscious choice each day to follow Christ outside the walls. You know, it's very easy to get lost, to lose perspective, and to get out of balance. This can happen to both directions. One, by being too consumed by the world at large and losing sight of those things that are important for our interior selves. Two, to get so caught up with the minutiae of our own daily existence that we miss out on the broader swaths of what's going on in the world. And we have to find and strike a balance between those two. There is a lot going on in our world, but we also have to pay attention to our soul. We can get so wrapped up in the important issues of the day and in the movements and the reaction to those movements that we lose sight of those things which are going to have lasting and eternal impact for us specifically. At the same time, if we get so caught up with those things that are internal and we say, well, the rest of the world doesn't really matter to me, then we also imperil our soul, right? There is this balance that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We are responsible to care for those who are around us, as we see in the the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 25 specifically. Uh, We also have this command of, of Christ that we are Uh, The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is like unto it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is not merely an affection, but it's, uh, as Thomas Aquinas says, love is to will the good of another. And so it's incumbent upon us, if, if that's the case, if that definition is true, it's incumbent upon us in order to follow the, the commands of Christ, that we will the good of our neighbor in the same way that we would will our own good. We will the shelter and the security and the safety. We will the, the health and well-being of our neighbor to the same extent that we will our own good. This, uh, this makes that command a little bit more challenging, specifically when we take account who our neighbor is. You look at the, the story of, uh, that Jesus told. The, the, the ruler came to him and said, okay, well, uh, then who is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who, who then is my neighbor? As if somehow he could excuse himself from that command or make it somehow easier. But Christ doesn't ever make the demands of righteousness easier. He simply gives us the grace to do it. And so that the story that Jesus tells in that moment is one of, um, of prejudice, uh, of a people who are prejudiced against another people, that the Samaritan was the one who, in spite of being oppressed, in spite of being the, the one looked down upon and outcast, in spite of all of those differences and distrusts between their people, it was the good Samaritan who came and dressed the wounds and brought the man into safety. It was the one who was the outcast who was the neighbor. And so Jesus asks 
the question back to him. Okay, I've told this story. Who among these was the neighbor? His own countrymen, his own religious leaders, or the person who was socially outcast but is the one who who cared and had compassion and provided safety? And the, um, the questioner had to say to Jesus, I suppose it was the one who showed mercy. And Christ's response to that man was, you go and do likewise. So love your neighbor as yourself in being the one who shows mercy. While this is true, we don't want to become so focused, hyper-focused on what is going on uh, in, in the movements of this current moment that we miss the fact that there are undercurrents that affect us right at home. Yes, we need to, to stand with the bishops. We need to absolutely focus on being a neighbor, but it's so easy to talk about it and to get trapped in these words and really in a battle of words that we don't actually take the time to do it, to seek out our neighbor and to will their good. Here's something else we have to keep in mind. Um, Everything is heightened right now. All of our emotions, all of our experiences, everything is ramped up because we are living in a time that is completely unsettled and we don't know how to be. Um, the, the, the ways that we have established for ourselves to live, uh, the expectations that we have for, for life, all of this has been upended and we, we can't fool ourselves. This is still very much a part of our reality and it's affecting the way that we behave and the way that we speak and the fact that we're on edge with one another. And so, um, today we're going to spend some time turning ourselves inward We can't stay here. We have to go back and have these conversations that are so important, that deal with ideology, that deal with race, that deal with all of these other things. And we've been addressing those over the last several weeks. You can find the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. But today, I want to talk about family and family identity, who we are as a family and how we can move forward in a way that, that strengthens our family, strengthens our relationships with our spouse, with our children. Uh, And we have just a great opportunity to explore that. And I know that this is going to be a good show because everything has been going wrong. There has been so much spiritual warfare going into this episode. And so I trust that the Holy Spirit has something to say to us today because there's been so much pushback against it. As you listen to this today, I am packing up a moving truck because my family and I are moving a couple of hours north, uh, which puts us like seven miles from the Canadian border, but still on this side. Um, And so a whole bunch of things happened there. One, um, we have to leave the rental house that we're in at the end of this month. Uh, And closing almost didn't happen when it was supposed to happen and and was really just going to throw us in a complete bind. Um, but we were able to go through some extraordinary effort and we're going to be, we, we closed when we were supposed to close. Uh, but then we found out the, the moving truck the one of those, the orange moving trucks, uh, that we had, um, reserved weeks in advance 
Uh, lo and behold, the day that we were, before we were supposed to pick it up, they called and said, yeah, we don't have the 26-foot truck that you need for a family your size and a house your size. Uh, and But we do have a 10-foot truck that's about uh, 25 miles further down the road for you to pick up. Uh, surely that will work for you, right? Well, of course, the answer is no. Orange Moving Company. It does not work. That does not work for us at all. Uh, and, and so we're just kind of scrambling. How in the world are we going to be able to find something? Well, you know, God provides. And uh, why we ever got worked up, I don't know, because God has always provided. So we call the Yellow Truck Company. You know who we're talking about. And the Yellow Truck Company, lo and behold, had a truck lo uh, locally for us that we were able to pick up. It's a little bit of extra effort. It's a little bit extra money. Uh, but so far, God has been very good to us even though the Orange Moving Company was not very good to us, had a really bad experience there. Uh, so then, okay, got that all worked out. It's time to finish up the show that evening because um, we're moving, obviously, today, and so I can't be here with you, um, even, though, even though it sounds like I am. Uh, so I, I go to finish up the show that night, and the hard drive that stores all of everything about this show crashed on me. Now, you would have to know that there's going to be a backup. I've got backups. Uh, however, I had just done an interview with Dr. Tim Muldoon, uh, who we're going to hear from in just a moment. And um, that one was so fresh that there was not yet a backup of that. And so I'm, I'm just almost in a panic, not quite, but just this real sinking feeling that this is lost. I spent two hours dealing with this hard drive, trying to find a way to get it to work, um, to no avail. And so I'm sitting here just kind of head in my hands going, I, I really don't know what to do with this. This may be the first time in five years that we've not had an episode. So I, uh, I went upstairs. I asked my wife uh, where a specific tool was for the computer and said an extra prayer. And then by the time I got back downstairs uh, to, to try and do this next last-ditch effort, uh, the, the hard drive decided, oh, maybe I will open up on the computer, uh, just enough for me to be able to pull the things off of it that I needed to pull off of it for us to be able to salvage this week's episode, salvage this interview, and come and share it with you. So I am, I am beyond relieved, and I think that this is going to be a really important show. So right now, before we get into this interview, let's just pray, because the Spirit has done so much in terms of one showing me that I don't really have control over the situations I think I do. And two, that he is still good in his providence. So Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts and let us hear from you the words that we need to hear. Help us by convicting us and by giving us the, um, the strength and the virtue to move forward and strengthen our families. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's my great pleasure to welcome back to the show Dr. Timothy Muldoon. We had him on uh, a little over a year ago with his role through Catholic Extension, but today we're talking about his books. He's a pastoral theologian and an author of numerous books on Ignatian spirituality, theology of the laity, and marriage and family. He's also co-authored several books with his wife, Sue Muldoon, on family spirituality, including Six Sacred Rules for Families, The Discerning Parent, and the one we're talking about today, Reclaiming Family Time on the Word Among Us Press. 
Dr. Muldoon, thank you so much for joining us again. I am delighted. It's great to be back with you. So let's um, let's talk about this because all of a sudden our our lives got upended, and and a lot of the the difficulty people had when the quarantine first started was that everything that was familiar to them was taken away. So all of their scheduling, all of the activities, all of the everything that that in this book we look at as maybe even sometimes being problematic, uh, it was all of a sudden removed. And it was kind of like um, trial by fire, cold turkey going into reclaiming family time. And And honestly, some people, I think, didn't know what to do with it and perhaps didn't handle it as well as they would have liked. So from that perspective, you know, when you wrote the book, you're writing it from a perspective of we need to reclaim family time. Let's look at some of these things we can do. Now we're at the other side of how do we redeem the family time that maybe we haven't treated as well as we otherwise should have? I, I love that. Yeah, maybe it should be the revised edition, Redeeming Time. Thank you for that uh, suggestion. Uh, yeah, the, the situation is, is certainly very different. Uh, and, and I know, you know, both my wife and I have experienced that, you know, brain fuzz and, and you know, this sense of what are we doing, you know, and, and you know, having written this book a couple of years ago, I felt like we should have been even better prepared to lean into this period of being together. But uh, I, I think we have to name this this time that we're in for what it is, that it's it's been traumatic, you know, for, for many people. And, and so on some level, I want to give ourselves permission. I want others to give themselves permission to just recognize that it's hard, you know, that, that, that it is um, not an obvious thing to just kind of pivot and automatically know what to do with your time and, um, and, and, you know, how to navigate the new just physical space that you're occupying with people that, you know, don't necessarily occupy physical space together 24 uh, seven. So, you know, all of that is a massive, massive learning curve, but that said, and, and here's where I, I, I find myself returning to what we did in this book. I want to still observe the basic thesis, which is that God is there in whatever mess we're in, you know, and whatever challenges that we face as, as parents, whatever challenges we face maybe as spouses, uh, God is to be found there. And so to lean into those challenges mindful that we're not there alone and that God is to be found in the time that we have, uh, there is grace there. So th- again, I, that thesis stays with me even amidst the, the changing circumstances. So with these people who have, uh, who like, like me and like all of us who have been thrown into uh, the, the change, the dramatic change in our uh, schedules and our calendars, I think there there's this innate need to somehow repopulate that time with the same kind of activity. So, uh, and not even so much, Hey, we were outdoors all the time. Let's go outdoors all the time. But Hey, I had trivial things filling up my day and my calendar and uh, distractions and leisure. Um, and, and so now I need to fill that now with distraction and leisure rather than really sitting and, and making space for the silence and making space for the, just the being together. Um, you, you might still have people who uh, never had family dinner before the quarantine, who might still have found a way to never have family dinner 
uh, in the midst of it. So let's talk just a little bit about um, some of these intentional choices that we have to make, whether it's uh, in the midst of our full calendars or in the absence of a full calendar. What are some of these intentional choices that we can be making to really reclaim and redeem our family time together? Yeah, great question. Uh, and, and, and here is where I think the basic logic of the book starts to really kick in. Uh, and in fact, one of the major themes, one of the chapters that we deal with is leisure. So even in your question, you contrasted distraction and leisure. Those were your terms. And, and I want to really uh, try and be discerning about what I see as an important distinction between those two things. Mm-hmm. Distraction is just that. We want to kind of get out of the mind that we're in right now. And, you know, it, it can very often just be, you know, something that takes us, you know, off into some direction, whether we're scrolling through Facebook, whether we're watching, you know, all of, you know, an entire series on Netflix in a matter of, of two days. Um, those are the kinds of activities that, um, that tend to be less mindful. And and I'll say more about mindfulness in in a moment, because I want to even address that, Um, you know, that that question of how we can be mindful and whether it's even good for uh, Catholics to be mindful. I think it is. But mindlessness is we want to kind of get out of where we are. And to me, there's room for that, but but not a lot. We want to live in a way that... um, I think is mindful of who God has called us to be and, and the vocations that we have and, and certainly as parents. So we don't want to be constantly entertaining ourselves, constantly distracting ourselves, um, even in the midst of the brain fuzz that I was talking about in the real you know, deep uh, part of uh, the quarantine experience. Now, leisure, on the other hand, and, and we lean heavily on the German philosopher Josef Pieper, who wrote a, a very, very good book. I would recommend it to any of your listeners. Uh, and it's called Leisure, the Basis of Culture. He wrote it, gosh, um, you know, more than 60, 70 years ago. Um, but it's a meditation on what constitutes leisure. And it's very much rooted in the philosophy of, of Aristotle. And I won't get too wonky about this, except to observe that for him and for Aristotle, Leisure is something that you work at. It's, it's not just mindlessness. It's not just distraction. It's something that actually gives you life. Think of it as what recharges our spiritual batteries. And Pieper himself was Catholic, so he was writing from this very deep spirituality. Um, leisure is what recharges our batteries. Re- leisure is what contributes to um, who we are. It's what we live for. Work is how we live, but leisure is what we live for. And so what we're trying to do in this book, at least in that chapter, is point to how family time can be the exercise of leisure together, you know, that that this becomes soul nourishing for parents and children together, and that it's it's an act of discernment. In fact, it could be a very um, long-term act of discernment because children change very rapidly to ask, how can we actually have leisure as a family? You know, maybe it's a board game, maybe it's reading together, maybe it's doing charades, maybe it's, you know, the family sing-off, whatever it is. Um, You know your children, uh, you know your spouse, you're going to know the people with whom you are living and really trying to ask the question, what are the activities that are going to build us up as a family that takes, that takes work. You know, that's not just a, I get it. 
automatically. But, but we're really trying to encourage parents to do the work of discerning leisure paradoxically because that work is very different from the drudgery of having to do tasks all the time. You know, mm-hmm. so, so leisure is the work that is life-giving as opposed to the, you know, the, the tasks that demand energy. We're talking today with Dr. Tim Muldoon, who with his wife wrote the book, Reclaiming Family Time, available on the Word Among Us Press. So one of the things that strikes me in this, this discernment of how to approach leisure as a family, is that discernment in and of itself is something that we have maybe a little bit of difficulty with as families. And one of those primary things that I see as a need is the ability to discern who we are as a family. That it's not saying who I am as a person or who we are as a couple and the kids are just along for the ride or who our kids are and the parents are just along for the ride, which we also sometimes see. But what is that unifying identity of our family and how do we proceed in that way so that all of our pursuits, uh, whether it be uh, education or work or leisure, begin to to coalesce around that identity and to become ordered within that identity rather than just some hodgepodge of things that we do. So I know that, that you have uh, an attachment to Ignatian spirituality. In my family, we have a, a, an attachment to Benedictine spirituality. And whatever the case is, whether it's a chosen one or whether life just happens, the family lives around a rule. And it's either a rule that has been stated, rule in the sense of an order of life like the Benedictine rule. Um, there, it's either an order, a rule that's stated, or it's one that imposes itself just out of the chaos of the daily living. So in your book, you do talk a little bit about family spirituality uh, and how important it is to have that definitive statement that we will serve the Lord, and that's kind of our core identity as a family. How do you see that beginning to shape this uh, this centrality of a rule shaping the whole of our, our family time together? Yeah, great question. Um, I'll start, uh, by the way, just observing something about Benedictine spirituality, which we note in this book could be described as a spirituality of time probably more than even the other uh, spiritual traditions within the church, because it's a, it's a spirituality of ordering one's days around prayer and work and, and et cetera. Uh, I, I remember reading uh, somebody who made the observation just within the last several weeks in print, we're all monks now. <laughs> and, and, and the observation, of course, being we're all in our you know, homes, our, our cells, if you want, and, and we're all ordering our days in ways that are very different from what we are used to. Now, for us as Catholics, that certainly invites the question, well, how might I order my time? How might we order our time in ways that glorify the Lord? So there, there is really something to that very monastic mode of spirituality. Uh, and I'll just mention even uh, parenthetically that, uh, you know, as, as you know, somebody that is very much rooted in Ignatian spirituality, I think of that very much as Ignatius did, as having a foot even in the monastic world. Ignatius himself, by the way, almost became a monk. That was, mm-hmm. that was his initial um, intent before God called him into a much more active uh, life. Uh, but the point is that, that monastic spirituality is in some ways what I think of it as the most fundamental of the Christian spiritual traditions, precisely because 
It is about how one orders one's day around these, these fundamental poles of prayer and, and work. Um, so yes, we are all monks now. We, Sue and I, uh, speak about this in some detail in our first book, and you mentioned it, Six Sacred Rules for Families. Um, one task of every family, either intuitively or quite explicitly, is to answer the question that you've just raised, which is, you know, who are we? What, what is our identity as a family? I think most families intuit it on some level. I think very few families make it quite explicit, but we're inviting in that book some reflection on that question, who are we? And I'll observe this, and I know that you can appreciate this. When we talk to our children as they age and, and ask them, you know, what are some things that you remember? What are some good memories that you have that, you know, will stay with you? Very often, they will point to times of leisure, you know, in the way that I was suggesting earlier. They'll point to, oh, that time that we were at the beach together or, oh, that time that, you know, we um, took that hike up the mountain. I was just the other day. Uh, this was my Father's Day gift. I get two days a year that are all mine. <laughs> one's Father's Day and one's your you know, birthday. So maybe you do the same thing. But uh, so Father's Day was just recently. And so I got to say, we're going for a hike, you know, because I, I like to hike. So, um, but uh, my, my daughter was observing um, a hike that we had done a few years ago. And she was like, where was that? Because I remembered that. And it was a good experience and I enjoyed that. Um, and it just made me mindful of how, leisure really becomes the way that we define who we are because again it's what we live for you know and and so the relationships that we are expressing during those times the activities that we undertake um just even the the signals that we as adults give to our children um all of that is going to be part of the definition of who we are as a family and and i think more than anything else one of the messages that we have tried to send over the years is um, that, yeah, um, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. You know, that, mm -hmm. that ours is a family that is dedicated to the Lord's service, um, whether that means in liturgy, whether that means in the way we do our leisure, whether that means in the way that we reach out in service, especially to the poor. Um, we want to convey that those kinds of, of messages, you know, and so getting back even to the question of, you know, pandemic, the time of quarantine, um, what we say probably is not going to be that memorable, but how we spent it, that's going to be memorable. You know, how did we lean into each other rather than to your first question, distract ourselves with, you know, things that just take us in different directions. Yeah. We're talking today with Dr. Timothy Muldoon. He's the author with his wife of the book, Reclaiming Family Time, available on the Word Among Us Press. It's well worth your time, specifically as we have so much time uh, with our families. This will be a great way to, to learn what to do with that. What are some things that you can do? When we come back, we're going to talk about some specifics of how we can discern and what it looks like for us practically to redeem that family time. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls there. You'll find the link to the book and more. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to outside the walls with TL. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. And that's one of the things that that's very important to me as we talk about this show is, is looking at the implications of our belief. It, that's something that that's intentional. That takes time and attention to say, we have these beliefs. How does that then affect the way we live? And so here we're in the midst of looking at that as how it affects our family. As we're talking with Dr. Tim Muldoon, who is the author of many books, but the one we're talking about today is reclaiming family time available on the word among us press Dr. Tim, thanks for being with us again. Delighted. So uh, we've just talked about the importance of leisure. We've talked about having this this family uh, rule uh, and that these are the things that we find give us life. The leisure is the work you said, the work that gives us life. Uh, It's also in some way uh, a rest. Um, And and earlier on, we were talking about the – proclivity we have to distraction. Um, I, I, I imagine that that could potentially for some people be even harder these days because there is no definitive time that you leave the office. Your office is on your computer, it's in the room, and it could be just very easy to work a little bit longer than normal uh, or to catch that one more thing. And meanwhile, the family is waiting in the other room uh, and they're receiving a message about what the priorities are uh, for you and, and they don't measure up. And I'm saying this not to be condemning to anyone else, but myself, right. Um, that, that the family is out there and they very much long for us to be a part of it and, and to recognize that, Hey, dad and mom, they, uh, they are a unit with us and, and we are important to them. And, and, and I think that this is the most important reason for that. Our children learn about who God is by the the authority figure, the almighty one, by how we treat them, right? If we're overbearing, then God is overbearing. If we're overly permissive, then God lets them get away with whatever they want. And so we have the responsibility as parents to be as much as is possible like God, compassionate and just and merciful and all of those things on down the line. Uh, and so also attentive, right? You read the Psalms and that's one of the things that, that is put over and over again is that we long for God to be attentive to us. And so one of the ways that we can help our kids learn that is by being attentive to their needs. So in the book, you talk about um, leisure, but you also talk about another kind of rest, uh, another kind of intentional rest, and that's the Sabbath rest. So let's start by asking, how does that differ from leisure? And then how do we um, prioritize Sabbath in our home? Great question. Uh, Leisure is fundamentally a Greek concept. Sabbath is fundamentally a Jewish concept. Okay, so Sabbath obviously uh, comes from the... uh, story of Genesis, creation, God resting on the seventh day. And so it is the day that is set apart for the Lord, all right? So, so that's a concept that, that uh, we as Catholics have very much inherited from our older brothers and sisters in faith. And it is different from leisure. I think there are some overlaps, okay? I think there is something about intentionality. You have to be intentional about leisure, 
you have to be intentional about Sabbath. I think that's an important overlap. But the point where it really differs is that whereas leisure is, um, you know, it, it is a good in itself. I do not at all want to diminish leisure. Leisure, in fact, I would even go so far as to say that if if Americans better understood leisure, we would have a stronger culture. I would go that far. Okay, that would that would be another conversation. But that said, if leisure is about the work of nourishing our uh, our souls by you know giving ourselves meaning and something to live for, something that gives us um, something we enjoy. All that is good, right? But Sabbath is the time that we dedicate to the Lord. And, and what you pointed out in, in your question, TL, is that you're right. Kids follow what we do. And, and so if the message is that we worship the Lord, then that message is going to get through, not by what we say, but why, by what we do. So if that uh, practice of going to mass is something that is just part of the warp and woof of family life, that message gets through, you know, and, and, and by the way, I, I don't want to state this simplistically because I know a lot of your listeners, a lot of the people that we know um, wrestle with, you know, maybe my, my child is not enthusiastic about going to mass or not enthusiastic about, you know, following up with their faith while they're in college, whatever. So I don't want to make that simplistic, but I do want to at least make the claim that when we as a family, and particularly we as parents, orient our family life around our worship of God and, and making that central in any number of ways, not just going to mass or not just going to confession or whatever it is, but, but actually making it clear that we live for God, um, that has many, many implications. It becomes... Um, the, the the theme that runs throughout family life, you know, so that when we're reclaiming family time, as, as we're suggesting in the title, effectively, we're saying something like this. We do it because God has called us to be parents and because our lives are made meaningful by the vocation that God has invite us, invited us to as, as parents. So, the discernment question then becomes, all right, well, then how do we do that in daily life? And and there you bring it up. Uh, the discerning question is, uh, earlier on, you talked about a little bit of mindfulness and should Catholics be mindful? Because there's a lot of baggage that goes along with those terms and people have very, uh, it, it, what should just be a, um, a descriptive word has become a buzzword, Right. Uh, and so very often people react to the buzz and, and miss the description. So let's talk a little bit about being mindful as a parent, being mindful as a Catholic. Uh, we've talked a lot about family rules, uh, of who we are as a family, of making some intentional decisions. But we live in a society that has lost the art of discerning. Um, that we, we, you know, you look at a piece of uh, media that comes through and we make a gut gut reaction to it. We even are, are dancing around this word mindfulness because of the proclivity of some to have a gut reaction to it. And discernment is not just being able to make a quick decision. It's being able to see the depths and the nuance of something and to make a um, an informed decision and a, a spiritually informed decision based on that. 
Now, uh, Dr. Tim Muldoon, one of the things that you have done is written a number of books on Ignatian spirituality, and part of that is discernment. Uh, so help us to understand, unpack for us, if you will, what does the process of discernment look like writ large, and then what does the process of discernment look like in regard to making some of these decisions for our families? Yeah, and thank you uh, for framing the question the way that you have. Let me come back for just a quick moment to uh, an earlier part of our conversation when I was uh, commenting on Benedictine spirituality and Ignatian spirituality. Uh, I mentioned that Benedictine spirituality is a spirituality of time. And, and as such, it also then is a spirituality of habit and, and a spirituality of cultivating a particular way of being in the world that redounds to the praise and worship of God, our creator. Habit is, um, it, it's, it's what is at the root of, I think, a Benedictine way of living in the world. You know, it's, it's for those who have stability of place, as is, you know, one of the vows of every Benedictine monk. Discernment, I want to argue, is the spirituality of the missionary. And, and so, you know, Ignatius and the Jesuits were a missionary order. They were going out into new places, doing new things, encountering new people. You know, these, these were the guys on the front lines um, in the age of exploration. Discernment uh, is, is, I think, a spirituality appropriate to parenting in a particular way. And, and you know, you're smiling, so I can appreciate, you know, that you get what I'm driving at. You've got to be discerning all the time. Now, I want to use two images to make this clear uh, to your listeners. One actually comes, interestingly, from a commentary on a book of Aristotle, but it just stuck with me because I think it's a great analogy. Uh, and, and this, um, this Aristotelian scholar says, um, imagine a sheepdog, right? And, and the sheepdog is the one that's constantly running around the flock of sheep, and this dog gets it. You, you can't get too close or else the sheep are going to scatter, and you can't get too far or the sheep are going to just wander away, you know? So what the dog is doing is maintaining this careful balance. And by the way, he's pointing to a particularly Aristotelian term. I won't get into the details. But, um, but the image to me is, is a great one. It's, it's that practice, like, don't get too close, don't get too far. Not a bad image for parenting, if you ask me. You know, you don't want to be overprotective, nor do you want to be too hands-off that they just kind of figure they can do anything they want. Okay, so, so we're like sheepdogs, all right? So, so thesis one is parenting is like, you know, sheepdogging, if you want. Image two, um, and, and I hope this, uh, th this works, um, <laughs> Since I, I think your listeners are uh, mostly Americans, they'll at least get in principle what a shortstop does in baseball, all right? Um, but for those that are not lovers of baseball, as I am, uh, let me just quickly explain that this is a person that has to field ground balls in the left to the right, you know, has to know how to react to the crack of a bat and the ball coming at them. Um, it's a person who can immediately pivot in the moment, right? But not anybody can do it. You know, they have to be very well trained in order to be a good shortstop. But the point is that the long years of training make them capable of responding in the moment. And again, not a bad image for parenting, you know, that, that we come to know our children little by little over the years that they're growing such that we can pivot in the moment. What do you mean you got a 73 on that test? Or, hooray, you got a 73 on that test. That's right. awesome. You see what I'm saying? So we know how to pivot in the immediacy of whatever is going on. But the whole point is that it's 
rooted in our long practice of faith. Well, and let's take a look at that, that image of the test, the 73. The, one of the, the differences, I think, between discernment and a gut reaction is the prep work that's gone in before it. Yes, you're That's still it. going to be able to make a, a quick decision, but it's based not on an immediate gut reaction. It's based on the time and the attention and the energy that you have put into that thing ahead of time. So the parent who can pivot quickly on that 73 is one who has been in the trenches with that child and their education and seen the work that they've done or haven't done uh, to know whether that 73 is a positive thing or a negative thing. That's exactly it. And, and that's what even makes parenting different from teaching because, you know, teaching might simply be, I have standards and 73, you're not quite meeting my standard. Um, you know, I'll, I'll speak very uh, personally. Uh, in our case, we, uh, we adopted um, our youngest son at age eight and a half. Uh, and he was, um, he, he was raised in a Chinese orphanage. So he came to the United States having no English whatsoever. So by the point of his achieving a 73 on an English test, that was a major, major triumph, you know? So the average English teacher might not say that, oh, that's fantastic. That's, you know, that's not an awesome grade, but for somebody who's doing it in the second language, that's remarkable, you know? So the parent is gonna know that kind of um, insider view of, of children, of, you know, sons, daughters. Um, that's the work of discernment. And you're absolutely right. It's everything that comes before it, you know, so back to leisure, back to Sabbath, that's part of the, the whole point that we do those things. We lean into those times of leisure of Sabbath precisely because they are part of our vocation as parents to be discerning in regard to each of our children. Now, so far, we've talked a lot about the, the overarching principles, which is important. It's the groundwork that needs to be done. But let's take this to a granular level. Uh, you've got a parent who's in the midst of everything being upended. How do you begin the discernment process so that two years from now, you have a healthy, thriving spiritual life uh, and, and a reclaimed family time in your home? Yeah, that, that, that's a really important question. So again, thanks for asking it. We as Americans love results. We love immediate feedback. We want to know, you know, the cost benefit analysis. We want to know return on investment. It, it's, it's our American DNA and it's not all good, you know, that, that we want to have the sense that, you know, what we're doing is meaningful. Here's where faith comes in for me. Um, I don't know what God is doing with me. Now, this is an image that comes uh, from Ignatius. I, I, by the way, it, I have it from reliable sources, but I have not myself tracked down the image. But it's um, a chiseler with a block of wood, all right? So, so God being a chiseler with us and, and creating a sculpture out of us who are blocks of wood. Um, and if we react to each chisel, it might hurt. It might be difficult. We don't know what God is making of us. Um, it, it, this is the image for me and why it applies to parenting. We don't know how the ups and downs of everyday life are ultimately redounding to our salvation and to our children's salvation, which is what we're up to as, mm -hmm. as parents who are uh, parenting in faith. We don't know how you know, this immediate failure that is making our child despondent um, ultimately is going to impact that young person years down the road. We don't know those immediate sources of feedback. We act in faith. We parent 
in faith. And the best that we can do, I think, is you know, to do it lovingly, to lean in when it's difficult, and, and to particularly, as we're suggesting in this book, use the opportunities for leisure, for Sabbath, to really center our, um, our shared family life, ultimately knowing that if we are being discerning, we may not know every way that it's going to bear fruit, except that in some way it is going to bear fruit for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. We've been talking today with Dr. Tim Muldoon. Uh, He's written a wonderful book with his wife uh, called Reclaiming Family Time, available on the Word Among Us Press. They've also got The Discerning Parent. If you are interested in this idea of discernment, you can pick that up from Ave Maria Press and then also The Six Sacred Rules for Families. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. A pleasure, T.L. Thanks for having me on. If you missed any part of my show with Dr. Timothy Muldoon, all of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Go ahead and go over there, maybe share it on social media and tag your significant other as kind of a not-so-subtle hint. Uh, As always, there's more to my conversation with Dr. Muldoon than we had the time to air on the show. Uh, But that's available to all those who support the show through Patreon. While you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page. Come over there and see about becoming a show supporter. Now let's go ahead and turn our attention together to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching, and we're going to turn our attention now to the Gospel of Luke, where in chapter 12 we hear this. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not be afraid any longer, little flock, for your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your belongings and give alms. Provide money bags for yourself that do not wear out, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven that no thief can reach nor moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, and this is Jesus himself talking to us. Where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. And the, the question echoes in my ears. What is it that you treasure? Where do you put your energy and your emphasis? What is the thing that you value? Because where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. Now, this can be talked about in monetary terms, but it's also applicable in non-monetary things. Um, I, I heard it said, the things that you give towards, if you say, well, I don't really have a heart for, for missions— Well, the way to get a heart for missions is to start investing in missions. And all of a sudden, you're very interested in what's happening there. So give to Catholic Extension Society. Give to uh, the home missioners. Whatever it is that you need to do, um, as you begin to give in that way and put your treasure there, all of a sudden you become very interested in it. If you don't really have, if you feel like your parish is your thing and you don't really have a connection to the diocese, Start giving to the, 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 the diocese fund, whatever that happens to be where you are. And in doing that, you will find yourself all of a sudden more invested in your diocese. But here's the thing. It, let's go beyond that. Let's go beyond the monetary. Do not be afraid any longer, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Some people look at that and say, well... <clears throat> In that scenario, when the uh, the orange moving company uh, doesn't stay true to their word, and and you're you're 
high and dry without a moving truck and you don't know what to do. You just, you just pray and everything's going to work out because God is going to take care of you. Well, that's not what this means necessarily. It worked out that way this time around because the yellow moving company helped me out, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It could mean that the kingdom of God comes to us on the cross and the cross is one that we ourselves bear. It could mean that we go through a, a physical or an emotional or a spiritual martyrdom, right? And that's still the coming of the kingdom of God. But what it says is don't be afraid because whatever you get from the hand of God is going to be infinitely better than what you could have gotten on your own. That God and his presence with us and his accompaniment with us is worth whatever we have to go through. It's worth giving everything we have away because that presence of Christ is an inexhaustible treasure that is stored up in heaven, and that that's the thing that can never be taken away from us. And so as we begin to treasure our relationships, our prayer life, our opportunity to to receive Mass, to go and be in his presence uh, in adoration, as we begin to treasure these things, our heart is drawn closer and closer to him. We get to see and, and to realize his presence in our midst. And that is worth more than all of the temporary treasure that this world could offer us. To expand on this idea further, let's now turn our attention to a homily from St. Gregory of Nyssa. The happiness God promises certainly knows no limits. When one has gained such a blessing, what is left to desire? In seeing God, one possesses all things. In the language of Scripture, to see is to have. May you see the good things of Jerusalem is the same as may you possess the good things of Jerusalem. When the prophet says, may the wicked man be carried off and not see the glory of the Lord, he means may he not share in the glory of the Lord. One who has seen God has, in the act of seeing, gained all that is counted good life without end, everlasting freedom from decay, undying happiness, a kingdom that has no end, lasting joy, true light, a voice to sing pleasantly in the Spirit, unapproachable glory, perpetual rejoicing, in a word, the totality of blessing. Such is the wonderful hope held out by the Beatitudes. As we have seen, the condition for seeing God is purity of heart. And now, once more, my mind is in confusion, as from an attack of giddiness, wondering if purity of heart is something impossible, something beyond the capacity of human nature. If the vision of God is dependent on purity of heart, and if Moses and Paul did not attain this vision, they state that neither they nor anyone else can see God, then the promise of the Beatitudes spoken by the Word seems to be something impossible of realization. What do we gain from knowing the means by which God may be seen if we have not the power to see him? It's like saying that one is blessed if one is in heaven, because in heaven things are seen that are not seen on earth. If we were told beforehand how to get to heaven, it would be helpful to know 
that one is blessed if one is in heaven. But as long as the way to heaven is impossible, what do we gain by knowing about the happiness of heaven? This only saddens and annoys us when we realize the good things that we are deprived of, because it is impossible to get there. Surely, the Lord does not encourage us to do something impossible to human nature because the magnitude of what he commands is beyond the reach of our human strength. The truth is different. He does not command those creatures to whom he has not given wings to become birds, nor those to whom he has assigned a life on land to live in water. If then, in the case of all other creatures, the command is according to the capacity of those who receive it, and does not oblige them to anything beyond their nature, we shall come to the conclusion that we are not to give up hope of gaining what is promised by the Beatitude. John and Paul and Moses then, and any others like them, did not fail to achieve that sublime happiness that comes from the vision of God. Not Paul who said, There is stored up for me a crown of righteousness, which the judge who judges justly will give me, nor John who leaned on the breast of Jesus, nor Moses who heard God saying to him, I know you above all others. If it is clear that those who taught that the contemplation of God was beyond their powers are themselves blessed, and if blessedness consists in the vision of God and is granted to the pure in heart, then purity of heart leading to blessedness is certainly not among the things that are impossible. Hence, it can be said that those who with Paul teach that the vision of God is beyond our powers are right in what they say, and that the voice of the Lord does not contradict them when he promises that the pure in heart will see God. That reading comes from a homily by St. Gregory of Nyssa. The pure in heart shall see God, and the one who sees God obtains and has all things. You know, when we talk about reclaiming family time, it might look as though the thing that we are shooting for, this, this picture of sublime perfection in the home where everyone's just kind of sitting perfectly and listening to the great story or whatever else you might happen to do as a family and nobody's angry at one another— it might seem like this is uh, an impossible task in the same way that that St. Gregory of Nyssa says obtaining a pure heart might seem like an impossible task. And, and yet the truth is this, that when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when we shed our expectations and allow the Holy Spirit to help us, to give us discernment, all of a the sudden these things are not only possible, but they become a great blessing to us. So let's lay aside what our expectations of this family time are and come and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and give us direction and to give us encouragement to grow in in holiness within our families so that as a family, we might come to see God and with him possess all good things. That's all the time we have for today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Paige and Kent Keithley and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link in the top right-hand corner, and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you 
and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.